in front of doctors, and they were very surprised. They said, that's an unbelievable thing. Rarely does anybody do what you just did. But he should take that same test, but he hasn't taken any cognitive tests because he couldn't pass, he couldn't pass one. one. I actually I took one very recently when I was, you know, the radical left was saying, is he all there, is he all there? And I proved I was all there because I, I aced it. I aced the test. And he should take the same exact test, a very standard test. I took, took it at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center. This is Robert Plant, and you've been led astray by Chris T. Aerial View. Live. End times. Talk radio. Friday. 6 p.m. Eastern time. Call 760 You have a podcast. Cool. Oh, yeah, I invented them. Radio at its finest forever. Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. Radio. 
hard is to commit suicide. I have an idea now. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Show the man your power, big. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! With me, Chris T, here on thehoundnyc.com, where you can hear Hound Howls every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crashing the Party. And that would be at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on thehoundnyc.com. This program is a phone-in talk show. And how can I prove that to you? Well... How about giving out the phone number for a start? 760-422-5528-760. I call AV. Tonight, first things first. That's what I'm calling this show. First things first. I started to think about how our priorities have all been rearranged due to... Yes, of course. What else? The pandemic. Rearranging all of our priorities. And I hate it. I hate rearranging priorities. But I guess you have to. It's unavoidable. It's inevitable. Things are going to get moved around. But man, everything is upside down now. We are living in the upside down. I've been saying that for a while now on this program. This thing, the upside down update. As I dubbed it because of... Stranger Things. And it feels like we're living in the Upside Down. If you don't know what that is, maybe now's the time to watch that show. It's pretty entertaining. My bar is low when it comes to television. 
it's entertaining or it's not. It's it's very digital, I guess. It's it's on or it's off. I mean, sometimes it's meh. It's just meh. Like last night, we watched that Palm Springs movie with Andy Samberg, and I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Chris, Christine Milioti played the female love interest. It was a, it was you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back again kind of story. But they rearranged the parts as they often do. To make it seem fresh and interesting, and uh, the central story—I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, but just say, let's just say there was a lot of resonance to what's happening now. That was my favorite thing about the film: was this feeling of being stuck in this this loop, being caught in time, and uh, each day sort of, kind of like the last, where. You don't know what day of the week it is anymore. You're sitting there thinking to yourself, is this Wednesday? Kind of feels like Wednesday, but it could also be Saturday. I don't know. What does it mean that it feels like Wednesday? That doesn't mean anything anymore. What are we to do? To move things forward, to jump ahead. And then you stop thinking to yourself and you watch stupid escapist television, is what you do. Or you call a friend. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do these days. And, and we got a friend joining us tonight on the program, our friend Keith Hartel, who uh, has been here plenty often, plenty often before. You know Keith. Keith and I met probably 1986, for God's sakes, and have known each other all that time. On and off, there have been periods where we don't really chat all that often, and other times when we do, and fall out of touch, fall back in touch. He's still one of my favorite people, and he's going to be here to uh, dissect what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. As I mentioned, this is the first thing's first edition of Aerial View Topic. And my first thing is to tell you there's a brand new Hound NYC t-shirt. It's very exciting brand new Hound NYC t-shirt available now. Uh, black t-shirt, white and red design. The thing looks fantastic. And uh, stock is going fast if you want yours. The HoundNYC.com slash shop. Oh, there goes another sale. Thanks to everybody who's gotten that HoundNYC.com t-shirt. We do appreciate it. They're in the mail. USPS. I believe in supporting the Postal Service. Because you know who was trying to kill it. Kill it dead. They don't like the Postal Service. Don't like it. You know, the Postal Service is uh, like the largest employer in the country. Federal employer. And uh, it employs uh, a very high percentage of uh, what we're now calling, I guess, BIPOC. I'm going to ask Keith Hartel if he knows what that acronym means, by the way. Let's call him now. My first question will be, do you know what BIPOC means? Do, do, do. Eurovision Song Contest. 
hate that thing. Not you, Keith. Who? Keith Hartel. Yes, I'm. I'm here, man. I hate that sound that uh, Skype plays when you call somebody. It sounds like you're in the Eurovision Song Contest circa 1989 or something. I think you mentioned uh, last time I spoke with you that you don't care for that sound. Yeah, I'm going to mention it every time I speak with you, just in case. Okay. You, just in case you yeah. forget, and uh, in case I forget, I got to remind myself. Yeah. Sometimes that's what we do. We got to remind ourselves what we're against. And- if enough people speak out, like, um, maybe a change can happen. You think that should be my cause? Like, of all the causes you could adopt right now during this time of great social upheaval, I'm like, can you please change the sound that Skype makes? I don't yeah, like you have it. to um, compete with, um, you have to come up with a cause that people think is more irrelevant than free speech. Why do they, why do you say people think free speech is irrelevant? Let's 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 just stop and ask. But are, um, are, are you worried about the future of free speech because I I've been reading a lot of things lately and the the general gist of these things I've been reading is that free speech is under attack not only from the right but from the left as well. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, obviously I mean, when I the way that I worded that comment was in reference to the famous letter from Harper's with the multiple signatories of all different stripes, and the the that letter was I, I I felt it was anodyne and like really kind of hard to it's like disagreeing with the idea of spring or something like no one could really disagree with the contents of the letter, but it became very controversial in terms of who signed it, and then coming up with reasons for why the good people signed the letter the bad people signed. And then there was a lot of energy expended by this left that claims there's no, you know, cancel shit. But they really put a lot of energy into being angry about a very basic bitch. Like, everyone should be able to say what they think and talk about opposing ideas. So, I mean, is it under attack? Um, I mean, yeah, to, to an extent, but you know, um, every, you know, just, but in, you know, just in a general, the way that everything sucks these days kind of way, like it's not uniquely. So it's not just me. Everything does suck then, right? It's not just me. (laughs) Yes. All right. Yeah. I, for a while I thought maybe it was just me, but yeah, everything kind of sucks right now. Doesn't it? Uh, Yeah. But let me ask you this, because I think, you know, the Harper's letter, for those of you who don't know uh, what Keith Hartel is referring to, a bunch of people got together. They sent a letter to Harper's Magazine. I wasn't I didn't even know Harper's Magazine was still around, still a thing. Uh, what, how would you describe Harper's Magazine for people who have never seen it or read it? Uh, and probably I should ask first if you've seen it or read it. Uh, yeah, I've, I mean, you know, I see it online. I understand it to be it's some kind of like what highbrow you know, um, academic adjacent, um, classic magazine that struggles to maintain any sort of relevance in the post magazine era. All right. I'll, I'll accept that. That's about what I was going to say. Almost word for word. Damn. That's what it is. That's what it is. So, uh, Harper's magazine, they write this letter, these, 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 uh, bunch of leftists, 
I don't know. What are we calling them now? Progressives, no, no, well, left, well, leftists. What are uh, they? Free speech advocates. What are they? Well, are you talking about the people that signed the letter? You're talking about the signatories. Yes. The signatories. Well, a lot of people. Here was the thing that was fucked up about it is the signatories. They included certain people that certainly wouldn't be characterized as left. That I would say were centrist. That other people say is right. And that would include a David Brooks and uh, Barry Weiss. And um, currently considered nefarious um, J.K. Rowling yeah, for she's, her controversial uh, comments about trans things. So trans people, I mean, at least as far as what I saw on Twitter, um, some kind of trans activist types really thought it was just all about like this is just a scheme to let people say controversial shit about, you know, trans transness and i don't think it was about that i think that the the trigger was really that a guy got fired for running a right-wing senator's op-ed yeah you know it is um it's 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 things are getting very strange out there and i don't know how to feel about it when um i'm reading articles about how people who are completely uh, are being completely misconstrued or completely innocent are getting fired anyway. Like there's this guy who drove, um, he, he drove a truck for a California utilities company and he, he came up to a stoplight and some guy at the stoplight stuck his hand out the window and started telling this guy to make this okay sign. And uh, he st- and then he pulled out a phone and he started shooting video and and when the when the utility guy was like okay this guy's just bugging me and won't stop bugging me and I'm gonna just make this okay sign with my hand out the window the next thing you know it's all over social media that the guy's a white supremacist that he's giving this okay sign, the upside-down okay sign. Yeah, no, I'm no. very familiar. So very familiar. Uh, I know you probably know this story, but this is for the folks out there who are listening who may not be familiar yeah. with it. So what happens next? Uh, there are all these people who see this on social media and contact this guy's employer and tell him how goddamn awful he is that he's a white supremacist. And meanwhile, the guy's got, like, Mexican blood, and he's, like, his mother was, like, Mexican. or He's, like... He basically said, if I was a white supremacist, I'd have to hate myself. I'd have to start with myself. So now the best job that this guy has had in God knows how long has been taken away because of this mob mentality that jumped to this conclusion. And even later on, people were trying to draw back on it. They were trying to backpedal and say, yeah, maybe we misjudged. There's no news that I've seen about this guy getting his job back, though. So, I mean, that kind of thing seems really stupid. But as I said to my wife over breakfast this morning, we are just really stupid. This is a very stupid country. And it's really you know, it's really hard to own up to that. Rose McGowan made a tweet yesterday that I thought really knocked it out of the park. And she just said, America is the Florida of the world. Yeah, that does kind of sum it up. Rose it's McGowan. Really, I think it's right. Yeah. I uh, I interviewed Rose McGowan years ago. She made very oblique reference to what happened with Harvey Weinstein. This was before that whole thing busted out. And, oh wow! And she did uh, she did talk about it. And she talked about Hollywood. And I remember 
like when we were during a commercial break and we were just talking, I mean, the things that she had to say about some of the stuff that she put up with. So God bless Rose McGowan. And I don't even believe in God. So there it is. Keith Hartel is with us. And he is uh, a returning champion, and we're talking about, who knew we were going to talk about this, but the Harper's letter, we didn't even get to the part where it provokes this backlash letter, this other anti-Harper's letter, or whatever they're calling it. But what was the gist of that damn thing? I didn't read it, so I can only say the gist from what I read of the backlash to the original letter. But it's, it's just basically... They, they, they get into this, um, well, let's, let me backpedal a second and just, I'll just put a, a, a overriding way I see things is that, um, in the age of Trump, where although we're used to politicians lying, Trump is very overt, like, like they used to say that about Clinton before he got topped, but just that like Trump, it's almost like he doesn't even care. Like, whether you think it sounds true or not, it's the way it is. And they start saying that's Orwellian. And my thing is like, no, if you read 1984, Orwellian is not the thing when everyone points at it and says that's bullshit. The Orwellian stuff is coming from the left. So one of the things is they're starting to go into this free speech is a power grab. That's that's their basic point is like free speech is... Um, it's a principle that the idea everyone thinks is good, but people start promoting the idea for nefarious purposes, and it's uh, that's that's the Orwellian thing I think about it. Like, um, and but that to start to get into that, you have to start to talk about like um, the the trans activists are very hard line about certain things, and then you have a certain like. Um, what you call anti-racism, which is like the philosophy of like whatever, white fragility, that book that went to number one by some corporate whore that, well, that's another thing. Well, like, I, speaking of which, I mean, is on the left to me right now. I, 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 and I would have to agree as a big fan of uh, George Orwell, I would, I would go along with that. Uh, but John McWhorter wrote this uh, op-ed, I believe it was in the Atlantic about that book, White Fragility. Uh, yeah. and, and he basically talked about how it's actually a racist tract. If, and, and he dissected the person who wrote the book, who now teaches diversity courses, you know, goes around consulting. Corporate yeah, makes big fucking bucks. Makes, and corporate, big corporate money selling that shit. The corporations. Right. And the idea, the general theme of white fragility is that um, white people suck and no matter what they do, they're going to continue to suck and they can't ever stop sucking. And they suck. And we, we have to emphasize that a white woman wrote all, all of this. Right. And that's very important. I was thinking about the expression trick bag. And I feel these days like I'm in a trick bag. And like no matter what I do, because I'm a, I'm a cisgendered straight white male, I'm a piece of shit is what it comes down to. And maybe I should just own up to that. You know what? I'm a piece of shit. What can I say? And that's how, I mean, that's, that's where I'm left with all of this. This, this is, this leaves me holding the trick bag and all I can really conclude is I'm a piece of shit. And I wonder what is the point of that? Really? To basically say to people, you're a piece of shit 
and you've always been a piece of shit. <laughs> and no matter what you do, you'll probably remain a piece of shit because it sort of leaves you where? Where does it leave you, Keith Artell? Well, well, we'll talk about what the point of it is. I believe the point of it is very simple. If um, you, you know how the original idea that um, racism, maybe even, you know, or race itself was created around the time that slavery was being abolished. So they wanted to separate the like indentured servant type, you know, Irish people or whatever, or whatever poor white people. Well, no, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, because I, I, I hold with the theory that racism was actually a creation that coincided with the beginning of like enslavement, uh, in terms of, uh, the, like the, the, what happened around 1619 okay so 1619 there uh there is this bondage where uh slaves are brought to north america they go all throughout europe and england and slavery is justified by all these good christian people by basically creating this thing called racism where it holds that there are inferior races and superior races otherwise christians wouldn't feel good about pressing people into bondage putting the, and creating slaves so the way that they could rationalize the whole thing is to say okay well they're not as good as us and so that's okay and that, so you're i mean does that does that sound more uh you know more plausible what, what, because i'm curious too about when did this whole idea of white supremacy first come to the fore and really racism because the other thing I've come to believe is racism is about who has the power in the society. Like to call somebody who just hates you because of your skin color a racist. I mean, really, the question is, do they hold any power? Because if they don't, then they're a bigot. And we all know what a bigot is. And bigots are just as bad. We don't need bigots. But uh, racism is really about who holds the power in society. And I don't know. I still feel like I'm, it, I'm, I remain in this trick bag where even to talk about this... I'm sure I'm saying everything wrong. What about you, Keith Hartel? Well, well, for one thing, um, like starting as far as the idea of racism, um, from from things I have read, um, my bias is that the idea of the racism that existed in early slavery, for one thing, they say prostitution was the oldest profession, but slavery seems like it was neck and neck with prostitution for all of human history. And by the way, still exists now in Libya, courtesy of Obama and Hillary Clinton, making Libya an open, like they still have slavery in Libya because we took out Muammar Gaddafi. So that still exists. But I think that before abolition, you didn't have to really rationalize racism. It was just like, these people live in a jungle. They're not civilized. It's a lower, you know, there's just like a, a, a lower level of human as demonstrated by their lack of technology and whatever primitive, like I, right. I don't think that they had to rationalize it that much. No, I, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I, I, all right, let's split the difference on that one. But I want to go back to the Thirteenth Amendment for a minute, the thing that was ratified December sixth, eighteen sixty-five, to abolish yeah. slavery. They left, they left something in there that I didn't know about because you just mentioned that slavery still exists, and I would argue. Prison labor is a form of slavery. It's indentured servitude, but it's indentured servitude where people can't leave. And so it's still in the 13th Amendment that you could use slavery 
as a punishment for crime. And there are people now who are saying, we got to fix that. We got to take that out of there because that would change the whole prison labor racket because that's what that is. And it is, it's a racket. When I first heard about that, I was like, they do what? They're doing what? Like they, they, they make these prisoners not only become call centers for credit cards and airlines, they make them make clothes. We know the cliche was always license plates. Like any movie, yeah. 1930s movie with James Cagney, he'd be in there printing license plates. But it's all kinds of shit that they make prisoners do. And prisoners who now are dying disproportionately of COVID-19, boy, it sucks to be a prisoner. It just sucks. And uh, one of the things I hope comes out of all the bullshit that's happening now, Keith Artell, is a move to reform the way that we lock up uh, a disproportionate amount of people in this country, including BIPOC. I was going to ask you if you know what BIPOC stands for. That's the latest acronym that um, I wasn't clear remind on. Remind me. I have known it, but uh, off the top of my head, I do not remember what uh, it stands BIPOC is, is black, indigenous, and people of color. So black or indigenous oh, okay, yeah. people or people of color. BIPOC. It's the latest thing. Use it yeah. in all your correspondence. BIPOC. So... The uh, 13th Amendment, yeah, and prison labor and the state of the country nowadays are all the things that Keith Artell and I are talking about. But I, I called this, th- this show First Things First for a reason, because I feel like all of my priorities have been rearranged because of the pandemic. And I've had to really think about the, the need of hierarchy in my life. And I wanted to ask you if it's the same for you. Have, have any of your priorities changed uh, post March thirteenth, for instance. No, <laughs> that's a resounding no. <laughs> no, well, you know, um, well, I'm, I, I guess it's just because um, maybe I don't think of myself as a priority guy, and that my main priority was like I got to get home and relax. You know, you <laughs> do have an unbelievable um, dedication to the pursuit of slack. And and I don't think that's the same as being a slacker. Like, I would never call you a slacker. But you yeah. do appreciate the idea of um, the art of taking it easy. Who'd put out that album? Someone put out an album called The Art of Taking It Easy. I can't remember who the hell it was now. But, um, yeah. And so, but you don't think any of that's been uprooted, detoured, blown up? Because well, of what's I mean, going on go now? By, I, I'm lucky. I'm just fortunate that, you know, the, the category of people that um, still have their jobs and work from home, you know, if you're not Jeff Bezos, like if you're not just owning so much wealth, you don't have to give a fuck about anything. Like the, the, the most fortunate people who have been hit the least is really people that still have their job and work from home. Yeah. So... By the way, um, uh, I'm, I'm just lucky like that lines up. The situation lines up for me. Well, how's it going with the guitar, by the way? How are things between you and the guitar? You, do you play every day? Do you still love the guitar? Do you still sit down and go, let me figure this thing out? How did they do that? Do you? Well, or... it's it's funny because I'm starting to get really. Um, and, and it's because I don't have like the external like projects and like where I'm going to rehearse with dudes and stuff and learn new shit. Is like I'm starting to regress, and I'm just getting like really back into, um, like you know, I'm 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 playing like Ace Frehley licks from Kiss Alive, and um, you know, the, the punk rock, and I'm just 
I, I've regressed. Like I listen to nothing but like 77 punk rock and like Kiss, Aerosmith and Queen. So, yeah, um, I'm getting into guitar in that kind of way that like if you don't have an agenda, like that it goes back to, yeah, these records that I listen to, these licks I've known all my life. I'm definitely dig. I'm digging into the. I'm I'm getting I'm 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 regressing to like kind of that my teenage mentality of like um, first learning an instrument and um, first like first things that excited me in music is getting really. Important. Oh, I remember that feeling. I miss it. I miss it dearly. I mean, I remember that feeling of being so excited about coming home to be able to play my guitar and playing it for hours and plugging my little crappy K guitar into my little crappy Univox amp and playing along with crappy records and being incredibly happy about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. having all those hours to sit there and do that, I want that feeling again. We're going to have to figure well, out how to do that, you and me together. It, yeah, well, when, when, as, soon as, as soon as we're cleared, we'll get together. But um, uh, one of the things that, since I'm a guitar, you know, Zoom guitar teacher, um, it's, it's interestingly, like, not, like, amazingly sad or anything, but, um, like, the kids that, you know, the age you are, like, you know, early, mid-teens, when you're starting to hook into, like, oh, I can get my hands on learning this thing. Um, yeah, I was 12 or 13. There's, there's an appreciation I have for, for you, you know, this starts to get that real, like, Dana Carvey, like, in, in my day, there you would just have one game called Stare at the Sun, and you, you know, like, we liked it. Right. But, like, in my day, you had to hunt down a record forever. And if you wanted to figure out how to play it, like, you had to know someone who knew how to play it or just, like, learn how to think about it and, like, you know... Um, you know, try trial and error to learn shit like right, and and just the idea of having you'd also have to, to wait a minute. You'd also have to scratch the hell out of your records by picking the needle up and backing it up to that part you want to hear again. I mean, that's you would sit by the turntable and you'd be like, "What was that? Let me back." And you go, "Scratch." Oh, that's that's funny because um, my father was when I was a kid in the seventies. My father was a full time cover band bass player. So I grew up listening to him do that. And he was and he was, you know, learning music. And then maybe when I was like 10 or something, I got for Christmas like a um, Craig, you know, receiver that, you know, turntable radio, mm -hmm. but it also had cassette player. And my father and this must have been around like, you know, it was like 78, probably like my father. As soon as I had the cassette thing in my house. He went straight to the cassette off the records and just started being in my bedroom learning fire mm. straight as a swing or whatever. Wow. And he, without scratching his records up. That's but good. that was the thing. My, like, my father immediately reacted to that, like, oh, this system with the cassettes works way better for this shit. And, and it's funny because um, going into later years, buying the new gadgets and especially the computer apps – to me, like the more that something works like a cassette, the CDs kind of work like cassettes. But then when you started having the um, MP3s, it started to get weird. And I'm attracted to this, like the cassette, the invention of the cassette was kind of the peak of like a form where you could like stop something, listen to it again and learn it. You know, I, um, 
I ha I've been able to get rid of a lot of outmoded media. Like, I don't give a shit about uh, CDs or DATs or mini discs. Yeah. And reel to reel tape uh, doesn't really thrill me. But my cassettes, it's very much harder to get rid of them. Even pre recorded store bought cassettes that I still yeah. have. Like, I got physical graffiti on cassette. I got, yeah, I got yeah, My yeah. Aim is True on cassette. And, you know, from the record company. And yeah. um, I, I, I can't... I sold a few at uh, various sales throughout the years. And I, I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have hung on to those. But I got a lot of cassettes that I recorded myself with handwritten notes by me. And it's very yeah. hard to put that stuff in the trash or otherwise erase it or unload it but uh was your dad a good bass player you've mentioned your dad before i mean did you ever get to see his cover band or no oh yeah yeah because when i was a kid this is hilarious like um when i was a kid um there there was two phases because there when i was really little like and this is kind of like preschool into kindergarten he was like in a rock and roll band and you know, cover band, they played the Chatterbox Bar in Seaside Heights. And so during the summer, they had matinees on the weekends. So like, as a, you know, um, whatever, like eight years old or whatever, going into a bar, but during the daytime, because then the matinees, it was designed so people could come off the beach and just wheel in. So they would bring us into the matinees. But like the idea of like that loud music, the certain light, the way that a bar would be dark inside, even when it was light outside. And there was a smell and it was that mix of like alcohol, tobacco, and then whatever the cleaner cleaning thing was that he cleaned it with. Like Lysol or Clorox. Yeah. And puke. Don't forget puke. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up with that. Um, I forgot. What's that guy that wrote the book where he remembered the smell of the fucking lemons? Oh, that was uh, Proust. Marcel Proust I, and his I Madeline's. I had a re reaction to like, but well, well, so the thing is like when I was really little, um, they played in the bar and, and, and we would go see them as a, as a kid. And then um, in the, in the early or the mid to late mid seventies, he went like lounge disco. Cause that's just where the, you know, live music culture was. But right in 78, it was like the cars, the police, dire straits. Then again, he was back in rock and roll with a band and they were still doing matinees in that fucking chatterbox bar. So like, you know, when when surrender and just what I needed were new, like I was watching my dad play that shit in a band, you know, I, um, I, the chatterbox I, bar. I love the vision of this. I mean, I'm trying to con conjure this up in my mind and I'm imagining all the couples on the dance floor who later went and made illegitimate babies and like how your father's bass playing was sort of like launching all these illegitimate babies because people would be having such a good time. There's nothing better than you're in a shore bar, seaside heights on a hot day, and you go in for some cold beer and there's a really great cover band who really knows what they're doing. And I bet your dad knew what he was doing. I bet he was well, damn good. Well, you know, it was like a job. Like, like you know, you have your shit together. So I just remember, I, I think a lot of... Um, it was funny because when I was getting into punk rock and taking up instruments, you know, I most I learned a lot of it and most of what I used or had to function with from my punk rock peers. But my father, when I first like picked up the bass, I was like, really just like, show me how to play this song, show me how to play that. Like, and it was like, 
one of the first songs I ever learned, you know, Cockney Rejects, Oi, 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 because it started with the bass line. It was like, and, and then, you know, Misfit songs and any song that started with a bass line. But, um, yeah. I always like uh, when a song but, starts out with the bass line. It's always good. It's always, you know, you're in for a good time when they start out with like, do, 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 and you're like, okay, now we got something. And then the guitar comes in. I like songs yeah. like that. Those are good. So, is your dad still with us? Yes. He is. Okay, good. Did he ever get to see you perform? Did he ever come and see one of your bands? No, and I think it's very psychological because my mother, my parents split up, and my mother came to a bunch of shit. And my father never did, and he's occasionally said, like, oh, I saw it, because my father, like, was actually close, you know, he was in North Brunswick, and my grandparents lived in New Brunswick, so there was phases where I was playing the Court Tavern, and he'd be like, yeah, I saw you play at the Court Tavern, I was thinking about going, I don't know, I feel weird. But, but uh, no, but they, my parents were, they, they, my family psychology... And this, here we can pivot to the Mary Trump book. But um, the psychology of my nuclear family was that, like, taking up music and pursuing playing music in public destroys families, marriages, lives. Wow. Well, did you see her talk to George Stephanopoulos? No, uh, yeah, I did a little bit, man. I did a little bit. I'm, I'm more than halfway through the book. So I, I've read a lot of the book, but um, yeah, it, but she's hard to watch. And like, it was funny because um, I just started watching it on Hulu and it's like, this thing's like an hour long. And I was like, I can't listen to this lady for an hour. But the book, the book is, is reasonably interesting. I, I, I said to my wife, we were trying to watch it on uh, Hulu. So like the next day, you know, we weren't watching it Yeah, that's live. what I was watching it on Hulu. Hulu. Friggin' Hulu. So I said to my wife, it's like, she looks like... Donald Trump in a wig. I swear to God, that yeah. Trump bone structure, that Trump face. She was, I don't know, I was going to say blessed with it, but that's not really what I mean. No, but, well, the funny thing was, is if you've seen pictures of Trump's mother, she really looks like Donald Trump in a wig. She really did. For uh, real. i never seen pictures of her. I should go hunt them down. I've seen pictures of Fred Trump. He looks like a, yeah. like, a like a creep. Well, here's what's great about Fred Trump, because here's what I get from the book, because um, the book is really, in, in my opinion, um, it, I mean, not that I'm saying this would have changed things, but the right time for the, this book was 2016, because by now, you've heard, wor- you've heard worse things about Donald Trump, the guy, than, like, there's nothing in this book that's going to, like, up your level of how fucked up that guy is. But the thing that's fascinating about the book is because it's really more about the family and that Fred Trump, his father, Fred Trump Sr., he is Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, straight up. And oh, so I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. That, that's drink he, yeah. your and if you think milkshake. About it, you're talking about, you see the pictures of him. I drink it up. That kind of guy. I love that movie. Paul Thomas Anderson, son of Goulardi. If you haven't seen There Will Be Blood, what the hell are you waiting for? Why not see it now? We got a pandemic going on. You got plenty of time. Track it down and see it. It's good. Isn't it? It's real good. It's good. It's, I found it very entertaining. 
And it's got what's his face in it? Paul Dano, that actor, Paul Dano. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. That guy is awesome. That, that guy's that awesome. That movie is a masterpiece. But going back to like the main point about like her book is like Fred Trump is really the presence that like he is the source of everything in the family after it. And what makes the book interesting is it's, you know, Donald Trump is sort of a central figure, but the real central figure is Fred Trump. And he is, there will be blood, man. He is that. Nice. I like it. I got to get this book. You reminded me. I mean, the reason I hate Fred Trump, there's a lot of reasons, but the main reason is he knocked down steeplechase park. Okay. He thought oh, that's in, that's a big thing in the book, by the way. That's a big thing. Uh, great. I would love to talk to you yeah. about it. Let's talk about it for a minute, because for my memory, like he uh, he thought he could put up apartments and they and they no one had told him or he didn't know or somehow it he didn't care that the area south of Surf Avenue was zoned for amusements and they weren't about to change the zoning so that he could put up these residential towers that he envisioned, these apartment houses, whatever. Back then, they didn't have condos, so he wanted to build more Trump houses, which were eventually built in Coney Island, but north of Surf Avenue. And so he knocked it down and made a party out of it. Like, he had, like, uh, he had, I guess what back then was called exotic dancers, kind of strippers, but he had girls there. He made a party out of it. And the people of Coney Island never really forgave him for that, for just coming in with bulldozers and knocking down part of their childhood, namely George C. Tilly's funny place, Steeplechase Park. So what does she say about it in the book? Oh, it's great. It's it, That's the perfect thing to bring up because, you know, she's um, Fred Jr.'s daughter, and he died of alcoholism. And the, the theme of the book is that Donald was eight years younger than him. So he's watching Fred Trump, the way that he expresses himself and watching what gets shot down, you know, how the father abuses him for showing any vulnerability or interests outside of Fred Trump's interests. But this is the the beauty part is that the same way that, I mean, I don't know if it's a perfect analogy, but you had the um, COVID crisis and Trump goes, Mike Pence is the point man and the face of the administration of COVID crisis. And what Fred Trump did was um, he made Freddie, Fred Jr. Trump, he made him the guy that like his way of like um, establishing his position in the Trump building family, whatever that they called Trump uh, buildings corporation was called but he was the face of that so it was where like um the way that you're saying that it was a fucked up controversial thing fred trump knew that he was aware of that and it was very much like donald trump just like going against the grain like fuck you this is how it is right um but he his son was the sacrificial lamb so when it flamed out and it had like the massive negative reaction and then it didn't pan out what he wanted he blamed he blamed the fred jr the public face of the company fred trump jr so you know uh donald trump's father fred trump um i had always read that he made his fortune initially by building garages when the car became a thing the automobile when all these people had homes like in queens but they had nowhere to put their car 
and they wanted to put their car somewhere. And he began building garages, and that led to building houses and then building apartment houses. And famously, Woody Guthrie lived in a Fred Trump building in Coney Island and wrote about him, wrote wrote him into a song. But yep. uh, I, I remember when I first heard about what Fred Trump did uh, and, and coming in and knocking down Steeplechase Park, I just remember thinking, imagine, imagine if there, someone had stepped in to save that. Imagine if somebody had had enough sense and we could still go there today and still see that. I hear descriptions of it. It sounds like just an amazing place. And nowadays you would, you know, mainly, not mainly, but very much due to Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis starting a landmarks preservation movement uh, after the destruction of the original um, Penn Station. Maybe they would have saved it. Maybe Steeplechase Park would still be there. But But Fred Trump... And his son, they're the kind of pricks who don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. That what they care about is making money, and well, that's, anything that's, that stands in the blood. way, yeah. there will be blood. That's where that's what he was. He was that. He was Daniel Day Lewis. I've abandoned my boy. Remember that line? That was he was good. Daniel Day Lewis without the catharsis. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely his story. By the way, um, of of Daniel Day Lewis's many amazing performances it's a standout for me it's one of my favorite because he underplays it it's so underplayed and he's got paul dano dano however you say his name to play off of and that kid is good watch anything that kid is in he was in uh love and mercy where he played the younger brian wilson i think he could have played the older brian wilson too i don't think he needed john kuzak but John Kuzak probably had money in that picture, so he got to play old Brian Wilson. Paul Dano, I, I interviewed him many years ago as well when he was just kind of getting underway, and he had done something that had gotten everybody's attention. I forget what the hell it was. But, man, in uh, There Will Be Blood, yeah, you got to see that. I might have to rewatch that this weekend. You reminded yeah, me. Yeah, oh, that movie is a, I, it's a masterpiece. Let's just, let's just say the M word. Now, would you say that about other Paul Thomas Anderson work? Would you say that about Magnolia, for instance? What other Paul Thomas Anderson movies, Punch Drunk Love, do you think are masterpieces? Well, obviously, I think Boogie Nights, obviously. Boogie Nights is pretty Uh, close to a masterpiece. I love Magnolia. Um, It it doesn't have that, uh, but I don't know. I love Magnolia, but the the movie The Master... (laughs) The master, Philip Seymour Hoffman's last film based on the life of L. Ron Hubbard with the great Joaquin Phoenix performance where he didn't get the Oscar, he got robbed. He eventually got it for Joker, but as I said to Keith Artell when we were watching Joker, he's going to really get it because of the master. They, they didn't give it to him then, they're going to give it to him now, and I don't even remember who got it, but he plays, uh, I know the first name of his character is Freddie. I forgot the last Quill. Freddie Freddy Quill. Quill. And, and and it's really a magnetic performance. You can't take your eyes off of him. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is right up there with him. And, he was uh, so good. It's 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 a really it's a really good film. I really liked it. And Philip Philip Seymour Hoffman was he dead before that came out or just after no, it no. came out? Okay, he was no, still. No, no, he was. I think that. I mean, I think I don't remember what came out after that, but I I feel like um, I don't feel like that was especially close to when he died because uh, because I don't feel that that's the way it was and I'm not looking at the records. 
Ever tell you about the time I met Phil? I sound like a name dropper now, but I met Philip Seymour Hoffman. It was very thrilling to me. I went to the premiere of a movie called Pirate Radio, which is not a movie I I could heartily recommend. I wish I could. I wanted it to be a lot better than it actually was, but he was in it, and he seemed slightly embarrassed because when I went over to say hello to him at the premiere, I made what I thought was a great joke about I'm an achiever too, a big Lebowski reference, and he looked right through me like I didn't exist, and he didn't well, respond. He, and it was on heroin. He might have been on heroin. Come to think of it, that could explain it. You're right, uh, Did but it you was see, um, when before the devil knows you're dead. Oh, that's good too. I like that. That's based on. I uh, think that's. I think that's one of his best. Yeah. Like, as far as extreme performances, I thought that that was good. He's also very magnetic. You'll watch him in anything, and he's really good in The Master. And I think the master a lot of people didn't see. So during the pandemic, maybe seek it out and watch it. Uh, Another thing, though, about Philip Seymour Hoffman is um, I believe it was in the Mark Maron interview with um, PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. And and what he said was like because he was getting ready to start making movies. And he said that I think it was um, it was that Pacino movie. Um, smell a female that um oh because uh, uh yeah was he, that a real movie wait a minute the smell the, smell oh a female that was where he played the blind guy yeah I, oh god i hated i think it. i hated that movie now that i think yeah everyone it. hates it and that's yeah. why it won all the awards but well that makes um, sense yeah paul thomas anderson i'm pretty sh- i'm 99 percent sure is that movie he said he was watching that movie and he saw philip seymour hoffman he was like he is for me I am for him, and and that is the, and basically I think he used him in basically every movie that he was alive during that Paul Thomas Anderson made, or wow. at least many. How did and, we arrive here? Now I'm I'm actually I'm having a very meta moment where I'm thinking about the conversation because of Fred Trump is there will be blood, and that's, that's right. the world we live in, and that's one of those things. Like um, if you go deep on there will be blood, it's very. Um, inhuman capitalist um lizard brain you know it's one of those like this is historical but it explains something about the psychology of how america is america is really beginning to disappoint me and i don't put that mildly i mean i i I said earlier i think we're really stupid um i would i would i would hold to that i do think that we're we're stupid maybe getting stupider i don't know by the moment but we're also very divided and this is the part that worries me because I don't know how we come back from this division. I don't know whether or not Joe Biden can hang on for the next three months or whatever it is and win. Um, I First of all, I know there's a lot of people who are like, meh, Joe Biden. How how did it get to be this guy? Personally, I don't care. I'm a pragmatist. I say use Joe yeah. Biden like a Trojan horse. Get in and then do what you want because he wants to be remembered as a transformative president. He wants to be talked about in the same breath as FDR and Lyndon Baines Johnson and LBJ. And and so if Joe Biden can be this transformative president and get big things done, I think that's almost more important to him than anything else because he's been campaigning for president, running for president since 1988. There's now 42 years of this shit of him trying to be president. 
So my theory is you use him like a Trojan horse. You bust in and you get what you want because he's going to be too tired and old to fight it. And it's going to happen because when you take these polls, that's what the American people want. They want this shit. They want universal health care. They want Which these he, things. That he doesn't want. Well, and he doesn't want legal pot. And he wants fracking. He's trying he's to win. That guy. Listen, he's, he's trying. That guy. He's trying to win an election. Please just stand no, by. I'm telling you, winner, just winner stand by. by. Saying fracking is good. Who, I'm, listen, who, he can't lose those votes in Pennsylvania. He can't lose those votes in Pennsylvania, Keith. He's got to. He's got to say that shit. I'm telling you, hang in there, baby. Just hang in there. It's like one of those posters with the cat that says, "Hang in there, baby." You gotta hang in there. I, I, I just don't think he has his own thoughts anymore. I don't I know that that's Trump true. Like, I think he's Please. as random as Trump. In a I don't way. know that that's true. Who knows if that's true? Who who could speculate? We can't speculate. We know that what we have now is a steaming pile of shit. So oh, why God. not so why cool. not stop having what we have now? Maybe this show was called First Things First for a reason. Maybe we got to pull out of this this dive that we're in, and then everything else is negotiable because I really feel like we are in danger of just just hitting the ground, Keith. And so we yeah. gotta we gotta pull out of this dive. And if he's the guy that gets us to pull out of this dive, I don't give a shit. Because I do believe he's persuadable and they're gonna use persuasion on him. And like I said, he's old and tired and he'll go along with a lot of shit because he wants to go down in history. He wants to be remembered as transformative. I'm pinning my hopes on that. Because so far, he has moved. And even Bernie Sanders himself said, this is the most progressive agenda that any candidate for president Bernie has ever Sanders presented. Has to say that. Why? Who's he's telling him? He's against legal weed. He's against mm. legal weed. Is that he your, is that your, is that your wedge you. issue? Wait a minute. Is legal weed your wedge issue? Come oh, on, yeah. man. Here's, I'll tell you why. Why? Because running... I mean, for one thing, I just want to just clear up. Yes, Joe Biden, it'll be better if he wins. He should win. He probably will win. But look, look at you damning with faint praise. Man, you're good at that. Every other candidate, yes. every other candidate that looked like they might have got it was for legal weed to right. some degree. Well. And he is against it. And it's like being against legal weed in 2020 is like if Obama in 2012 was like, we're going to make sure we do not legalize gay marriage. And here's the difference. There was no no one had a financial right. stake in keeping gay marriage illegal. There's a lot of financial stakes in people legal. Listen, um, I want legal. you to picture right. Now. I want you. Whore. I want you to picture that John Hurt character in the first alien movie when he's sitting down eating and then suddenly that thing bursts through his chest. That's going to be Joe Biden. And bursting through his chest are going to be people like Jamal Bowman, who I was going to say earlier, we got some breaking news because he has hung on. He's hung on to win a victory over Representative Elliot Engel of New York in the Democratic primary. And he, he's beating back the efforts of the Democratic establishment to protect the 16-term incumbent. That's directly Nancy from the paper. Pelosi, yes. Chuck Schumer, and Andrew Cuomo did everything they could to stop Jamal Bowman. And it didn't work, and did who it? Do you think Biden listens to more? I don't. I don't care. I am looking. I'm, like I said again and again, I'm a pragmatist. Let's win this thing first. But you know what? Now's the I'm time. 
know, Listen, I want you to play some Karen of the Week with me because we're almost out of road. This show is going to run a little bit over, but while Keith Hartel is here, let's play some Karen of the Week. And I assume, without telling you how we play, do you know how we play Karen of the Week? Any idea? I've played this with you before. Okay, well, that's good. See, I just like my complaints are the usual complaints. My my bits are the usual bit. And this it's is a fun game. It is a fun game. And you know what? I would almost say the whole family could play, but you'd be talking probably about the Manson family. So maybe not any other family, but uh, Karen of the week. Hi, my name is Karen. I like anything from diners to exclusive restaurants, from football to horseback riding. If you'd like to have fun, pick up the phone and call now. Call 760-422-5528. Well... All lives matter, and not just black lives. She's a doll, she's a queen, she's a tantalizing teen, and Karen is her name. I want the manager. At a party, she's a snobber and a rock and roll and romper. Everybody's glad she came. Get out. Hey, that's Karen. You need to go home. We do not want you here. Get the fuck out of this world. You know, I realize, Keith Artell, that every week I get to hear the unlikely voice of Mike Love. I mean, is that guy one of the luckiest folks in show business ever? He managed to be related. You know something? No. No. here's why. For one thing, you know how it's like Brian Wilson's the genius, but, but like Mike Love made it happen. He wrote all the lyrics, and as much as Brian Wilson is a musical genius, having the lyrics connect is important. But if you ever want to appreciate what Michael Mike Love's contribution was, listen to pre-Mike Love Good Vibrations as, from the Smile version, and then the single version where Mike Love contributed. Because just by changing some words and adding that, I'm picking up good vibrations, right. he turned from a thing where where Brian Wilson was going into some kind of like you know hippie spiritual shit, and Mike Love pulled it back to commerciality. So, you no, know, I, no, look, I I I love I commercial. I, no pun commercial. intended. People love to beat up on Mike Love, but I did read his book a few years back. When again, I interviewed the guy, and it turns out uh, he made a very convincing case for his role, his part in the greatness that is the Beach Boys. And whatever kind of douchebag he turned into in later years, I would argue many of them turned into douchebags, except for Dennis Wilson, who drank red wine and fell off a boat and drowned. So he didn't have a chance to turn into a douchebag. But, hey, he's the guy who thought Charlie Manson had a lot of musical talent. So there's always that. Well, it's not. But that's Neil Young thought so, too. (laughs) Oh, my God. What was going on at Topanga Canyon back then? That's what I want to know. Damn. Well, Neil, Neil Young, my favorite thing in that book, Shaky, I mean, at least Manson-related favorite thing, is it goes like, everyone knew Charlie, and he, then he just goes like, people won't admit it now. No, why would they admit it now? Like, now Neil, Neil is just saying, like, we all knew that fucking guy. And then he goes like, and Charlie had ideas, but no one could keep up with them. And, you know, he was the kind of guy you talk to him, but he'd never let you off the hook. So Neil Young, who is also like a fucking psycho of some kind, um, he had a lot of respect for him. He definitely saw Charles Manson as a kind of like an agenda that he identified with. I mean, artistically, artistically. Well, there you go. And that's a great book, too. I've read that. You got to see that. Uh, You got to read that book. Find that book. But here goes. Just rock biography ever. uh, Here goes our first 
Karen. Speaking of music, I call this one music hating Karen. she would say bye Felicia but he just never did Keith Artell let's review what was going on there this woman was walking through a public park and she saw what she thought were Mexicans listening to non-American music and she decided to give them shit about it and she wandered over and told them to listen to American music and all I could think about was that blaster song she wants some American music yeah, you think about that. As soon as you said that, it popped into my head right before you mentioned the Blasters. Exactly. And the Blasters so didn't mean... she's a Blasters fan. She's a Blasters fan uh, from way back. Uh, the Blasters. So, uh, not it's a shame she can't adjust to the modern world, I identify with her. It's a shame um, she can't um, distinguish one group of uh, Latinos from another because there's a guy on there saying, they're not Mexican, they're Puerto Ricans. We're Puerto Rican. We're listening, and and she was like, she was really offended by their taste in music, and I'm like, isn't that a waste of time? If I got offended by everybody's taste of, of, in music, I would never get anything done because people like a well, lot of bad music. Not that I, it, that's I even bad. That. I don't even know what that was because I couldn't hear it over her yelling and screaming about people listening to American music. I don't even know, but it probably well, wasn't as bad as she thought it was. Let's put it that way. The, the funny thing is, is like, you know, back in the 80s, when you had people, friends, punk rock types, marginal people, you know, they'd often live in Latino neighborhoods. And then the loud um, non rock and roll Latin music was like that was like a condition of life, which I remember as a thing that was kind of a source. You know, we were punk rockers, so no one was mad at someone playing loud, loud music. But it was kind of the deal, like, okay, if I live where these people live, um, I'm going to hear that music. And, um, yeah, so I'm against, I'm against, well, I'm pro-loud music of any strike, um, only for selfish reasons. Yes. Because I don't want anyone fucking with me, so I always feel... I don't care what your loud music is. I know you don't like my loud music. Just no, but I, you know, look, I'll I'll add an addendum to that because the only loud music that confuses me, and it's not that I approve or disapprove of it, because who the fuck am I to approve or disapprove, is when people are going down the street in a car with a really loud stereo in it. I always think to myself, like, how can they hear themselves think? I mean, isn't that? I mean, it's loud out here. It's got to be twice as loud in there so you know what's funny i'm sympathetic to that because um i i do that 
I, I mean, back when I used to have to drive places, I've done that where it's like, if you're rocking so hard on your shit that makes you feel like you and you feel rebellious and you're like, yes, yeah, man, yeah, man, the the the, the, the pedestrians of Hoboken will deal with the moist boys. Well, that's my Mini Cooper. Well, you know, um, that's cool. The moist boys, whoever they are, like I've never even heard of them. They're so cool. That's but the other day I was side project. I mean, side project. Who whose side project? Uh, it's Dean Ween with oh, a different Dean Ween. Oh, Dean, you're a big Ween fan. I know that. But the other day, I was driving down Boulevard East in West New York, um, and I was playing at, uh, Are You Experienced? Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Yeah. On cassette. And I felt like an old shithead. I just remember thinking, like, if anybody is hearing this come out of my 94 Mercedes, they're not thinking that guy is cool. They're thinking... What an old shithead is what they're thinking. So, you know, there's always that. But the Moist Boys, I got to get me some of that because maybe people will think that's cool. I don't even know what that is, and it's cool. And everybody it's has cool. heard every cut on Are You Experienced 15 million times. So I sometimes I, feel I, like I'm caught in the movie Brain Candy, the Kids in the Hall movie. where We're just all trying to relive, relive those moments. It's yeah. It's disappointing. If you're going to watch any two movies this weekend, Keith Hartel's recommendation, The Master, I support that. And Brain Candy might be a good one-two punch. Oh, I got really serious movie recommendations because there was a New Yorker article this week that made this case that this Paul Verhoeven trilogy of like um, RoboCop, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers predicted the mindset of where we are now. And I yeah. watched them all this week. Everyone should watch those movies. And then you'll actually feel more relaxed because you'll just be like, they knew this was going to be like this. All right. So uh, it was uh, RoboCop. What was the second one? Um, Total Recall. Total Recall which, with Schwarzenegger. And then. It, 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 and, and that movie, by the way, though, Total Recall, because you think of Schwarzenegger, you think of blockbusters. But like all these Verhoeven movies have this satirical angle. And, and, and Total Recall is also a Philip Dick thing. So they're very dystopian and very predictive of, like, the fascism of the future. And Starship Troopers being the third. Well, based on a I like think that. we mentioned George Orwell earlier, and I think that there's yeah. a thread through there. And, uh, I, I yeah, Starship Troopers, one of my uh, favorites, uh, where they are supposedly going off to another planet to kill arachnids. Uh, yeah. Some kind of arachnid life form before the arachnids kill us, and it's all about uh, killing, kill, kill, kill. It's killing, but it's all—it's about that. Um, in that movie, there was that idea that um, the only way you can vote is if you serve in the military, mm -hmm. and that um, an important point in the movie that really this is where it's predictive because that's a forever war, which is an Orwellian predicted concept but now we really have literal forever war that started like 10 years after that movie came out or less than 10 years but it's like if you watch the movie the fight against the arachnids like they they, they show it from the perspective of if you're watching the fox news of that world or just the news of that world but that actually we're doing horribly in the war like um like losing tons of lives, break you know, making no forward progress, 
And just that being in the war was its own, it, it was a philosophy of what's important, was fighting the fucking bugs. And it turned true, starting with um, the, the Afghan war, is, you know, that's still going on. That's the longest war ever. And that started less than 10 years after that, or about 10 years after that. Yeah, and it's got Doog- Dougie Hauser in it. So that's uh, another oh, Doogie Hauser, Dougie Hauser, yeah. whatever the hell his name is. So there's there's always that. And yeah, good old yeah. What's-Her-Face, uh, Denise What's-Her-Face. She's in it well, as well. I call her Denise Poor Arts because I'm basing what I call her on um, Charlie Sheen tweets from 10 years ago. Wait, did Charlie Sheen uh, foul her? Is he one of the... Well, as you know, he was married to her. Oh, when he was going, I, I guess like, he did, yeah. Supposed to be seen that yeah. So he had one a- a- angry tweet where, like, he called her Denise... He called her, duh, D-U-H, and this is spelled in Twitter, D-U-H, duh, niece, and then P-O-O-R, poor arts. Well, what do but you know? But they're still friends now, so it's all good. That's good to hear. But- Let's move on to our next Karen. Are you ready for another Karen? Yes. We got to do one more Karen, actually two more Karens. So here's a Karen. This one I call Lone Protester Karen. This woman is upset that a guy, a lone protester, is out there with a Black Lives Matter sign. And I don't know if she's more upset with the profanity on the sign or that he's out there and he may put her life in danger because when the riots break out, she might get shot. So here's Lone Protester Karen. And I want you to listen for the moment where the cops show up. And the cops uh, do that all lives matter thing. Here you go. All this over a fucking side now. There are yeah, two no, police officers here. Well, can I? Okay. The only reason there's two is because for our safety, we don't know what's going on. She is the one who approached me. I was standing here on the side. Excuse me, but could you please not put that sign out because it's going to crank up the wrong people. And I don't want to be driving and have bullets shot at me because they're upset because you started it. this dude, but unfortunately he's allowed to stand here with a sign that says whatever he wants to say on it. Yeah, I'm also and upset because black and brown lives are at risk every single day in this country. You know everybody's life's at risk, so let's not. Risk. That's right. Well, thank, thank you for both thank sides. Right. Right. Both, both sides. And we need to appreciate everything they do. Okay? So it's it's black lives fucking matter. Okay. I mean, well, on, little kids are reading that. I'm sorry if you're a snowflake and you can't I'm handle. I like the way that ended. I'm sorry if you're a snowflake and you can't handle it. Pretty good, Karen. What'd you think of that one? I I thought that one sounded very civilized by Karen standards. You're right. Well, this one, the third Karen, not so much. Let's quickly move on. We're playing Karen of the Week with Keith Hartel. Here's Karen number three, Trailer Park. Karen, who is, again, upset with what she perceives to be Mexicans having a good time. Go ahead. Wet back, Sandy motherfucking cock-sucking bitch. There you go. There you go. Enjoy it! Go back where you came from! There you go. What's your name, Stokely Hall? This fucking country? There you go. The type of... There you go. That's the type of shit I love. Enjoy it, Facebook faggots! (laughs) That's the type of shit I love. I'm oh, sure you do, you piece of shit foreigner. Oh, see the town crackheads. Look at them. 
Good old Cedar Town crackheads. Goddamn business. Okay. So how about selling crack? crack. I, you know, What's I run some more fucking stop signs, you piece of shit. I forgot about that part, Keith Hartel, where she's like, I ain't a crack here, I got my own business. And I'm like, selling crack. Uh, yeah, or yeah. running your business and doing crack recreationally. I'm telling you. I mean, you know what? Doing crack does not make you have to be branded as a crackhead. I think that's very ableist. You know, and I think ableism was one of your themes you wanted to get into, right? I did, yeah, but um, we're almost out of Calling people a crackhead is ableist. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sign off on that. I approve of this message. But <laughs> let's quickly vote cuz I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. The pizza's waiting. So, uh of the three Karen's music hating Karen who objected to what she think thought were Mexicans having a good time listening to music on a Friday after work was out. Lone protester Karen objecting to uh, her life being put in harm's way, potentially, by a sign that said Black Lives Fucking Matter. And Trailer Park Karen, who uh, just plain old is full of hate and has a southern accent. I know who my favorite is, but if you were going to go silver or bronze, silver, gold, what would you do? Well, I mean the 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 trailer park Karen, uh, the last Karen. That I think that she's the, the queen. I think she's queen. I agree. That's that's your gold right there. But we killed all the suspense because you're supposed to go bronze, silver, gold. I would, oh yeah. oh. Well, you? then Black Lives Matter complaining weakest music mm. complaining one second and okay. then uh, when I said. There you go. I mean, so bronze is lone protester Karen. Silver is your music hating. Yeah. I think these are Mexicans. They're actually Puerto Rican Karen. And yeah. trailer park Karen objecting to anybody uh, having a good time who isn't her. Sounds like. Queen with a K, that last one. Queen for a day. It's oh, always, no, I said queen with I, a K. I know. I'm, I'm, I know. I'm, I know what you oh, said. I'm, I'm I don't just know saying that I hopefully her reign is short. That's all I'm saying. And our time together uh, is always too short, Keith Hartel. I do love you. Thank you for being here. How can people find Keith Hartel on the social media? Go to I just go on Twitter and fight with strangers now. I'm at Hartel Keith. Oh, you flipped it and reversed it. That's always good to know. I appreciate that. And uh, I always appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk again in the next few weeks. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. Say hello to the wonderful wife, Tammy Faye, if you will. And uh, I hope to see the two of you in some kind of online musical project of some sort. And Tammy's got some, shit, some act, actor shit going on She's online. been doing uh, goddamn Tennessee Williams and all kinds of crap. She's been doing Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Canada yeah. Hot Tin Roof, all kinds of stuff online. Really, said, there's more in the works with that. Stretching the bit. stretching the boundaries of what can be done with Steve Earle and Austin Pendleton. So yeah, that's yeah. always good. Yeah, all their shit has um, and and the the next thing, there's another one, and I wish I could remember what specific play it was, but um, she's got another thing coming up that's going to be Austin and uh, Penny Arcade. You can find her on Facebook as well. I got to hang up, Keith. I swear Ooh. I'm not kidding. The pizza's ready, and I'm. 
going to be in Dutch with the missus. It's always good to be here on a Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time Live with Aerial View on the houndmyc.com. Hound howls every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crashing the Party, the doo-wop chop shop of the year with Mark and Miriam at 5 p.m. Eastern. This show will replay on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and uh, you can catch, of course, the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, brand new Hound t-shirt available, and uh, you can get yours at thehoundnyc.com. Every day, federal scientists are looking for new ways to kill bugs. Your basic arachnid warrior isn't too smart, but you can blow off a limb... Still 86% combat effective. Here's a tip. Aim for the nerve stem and put it down for good. Would you like to know more?